Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, sound team. Let's, let's open our Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. A couple of questions for you guys. Have you, been, have you ever been in awkward situations among family and friends when it comes to your faith? Right? What about topics like standing firm when it comes to God creating the earth in six days, literally? Or how about relatives of yours that are living with their boyfriend and girlfriend and they're claiming, oh, we're not sinning against God? Or what about maybe family members who are adamant about that God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And if you're not, something's wrong with you. You, ha- you don't have enough faith. Or what about when you've had to leave conversations with your friends or family members that got uncomfortable because they started cursing, they started using vulgar language, started coarse gesturing, inappropriate jokes. And when you're leaving, they ask you, hey, why are you leaving You have the opportunity to tell them the truth, but you don't do so because I guess you don't want people to make fun of you or you don't want to be seen as that person or that guy or girl. What about when you talk to your friends or family members about the exclusivity of Christ? What do I mean by that? When they tell you, your friends tell you, so you're saying that all the religions of the world out of the billions of people in the world right now that are not Christian, that they're not going to heaven because your God is the right God and every, every other God is false? And the simple answer is yes. But sometimes you might be afraid of saying it. Now, what if these awkward conversations or situations came as a result of the government forcing you to blatantly violate God's Laws. What if laws came to this country like if you mention the name of Christ in publicly or, or privately, if we ever hear that, you'll be thrown into jail? Or this idea of church and gathering, not going to happen anymore. Or you're forced to worship other gods. What would you do? In which of the above scenarios are you most likely to stand firm in the Lord? The one that is casual, that you have the opportunity to stand, but you don't? Or the one that your life depends on? Today, we're going to continue to learn about Daniel and his friends and how they had that zeal and courage and fear of God over man. And how they decided to stand up for what was right before the Lord. And how they did this in a loving, non-combatant way. My prayer tonight is that we could have the same courage and determination to stand up for what God stands for, like Daniel and his friends did some thousands of years ago. Let's read today's passage. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. We're going to go over verse 8 through 16 today. So verse 8, if you have your Bibles, let's read together. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. 
Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. Verse 11. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let, us, let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better than they were, fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. The book of Daniel was written by Daniel. When? Towards the end of the exile. In the middle, towards the end of the exile. Why? To encourage the exiled Jews by revealing God's program for them currently under exile and after the time of Gentile, Gentile, Gentile power in the world. I made an outline, a general outline for you for chapter one. And if you were to give chapter one a title, it would be God's reign and his servant's faithfulness. God's reign and his servant's faithfulness encompass all of chapter one. We already talked about the first part of chapter one, which was the conquest of Jerusalem. The conquest of Jerusalem. And in verse one, we learned when did happen. Can anybody tell me when the conquest of Jerusalem happened? Under what king? Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim. Good. Great. And then we learned about the why in verse 2. Can anybody tell me why God gave King Jehoiakim into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar? Nico? Like worshiping, idols. worshiping idols. Didn't trust God. Years of rebellion. And what was the most important thing that we learned from those two verses? And it's a major theme throughout the book as we will study it together. God's sovereignty over human history. God is sovereign always. In the past, today, and in the future, he is sovereign. Last lesson, we looked at part two of this chapter, which was the assimilation. The Babylon assimilation, and we saw that verses three to four talked about the orders to assimilate, right? What did the king want? He wanted some royals and nobles from Judah who were, had some descriptions. Remember, good-looking, smart, hard-working, a lot of wisdom. And how would they be assimilated? They were to learn the... And through, no, literature, through literature and, 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 and their language, right? And we talked about in verse 5 the benefits of their assimilation. They were going to have the best food of the empire, 
the royal delicacies. They were going to have basically free college. The best schools of the Babylonian Empire were given to them. And after, they were going to be guaranteed government jobs. Can't get any better for being a captive, for being a slave in another country. And then finally, we, we left off with their new identity in verse 6 and 7. To ensure their assimilation took place, what did um, Ashpenaz do? He changed their names and gave them Chaldean ones, right? And again, most importantly, we see what? That God is sovereign over human history and God is sovereign over our individual lives as well. Today, we're going to continue talking about his sovereignty in the third part of this section of chapter 1, which I've titled, the, Faithful, the Faithfulness of Four Men. The Faithfulness of Four Men. And that's going to encompass verses 8 through 16. The theme... The main idea for tonight that I want you to have as we study this great passage is that believers should fear God rather than men and do so in a Christ-like manner. Believers should fear God rather than men and do so in a Christ-like manner. So let's begin with the first part of our scene of the four faithful men. We're going to see their determination in verses 8 through 9. We're going to see their determination. Read with me in verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So after being offered and facilitated the greatest food in the kingdom in their process of assimilation... Verse 8 tells us that Daniel made up his mind. He was resolved. He was determined. His, he was purposed in his heart that he will not defile himself with the king's food. Anybody tell me what the word defile means? Basically, it's... Make unclean. Yes, to make yourself morally or ritually impure, unclean, right? Why was this so important to Daniel and his friends? that made him to be determined to not be defiled by this food. Yes. Excellent. Remember when I talked to you last couple of weeks ago about the great reform under the King Josiah, that he found the book of the law, and the book of the law was read, and Josiah was fervent for God, and he wanted to make sure that all Israel would know the God of Israel, the God that took him out of Egypt. And I, asked, and I said, maybe in that revival and reformation, the parents and grandparents of Daniel and his friends were alive. And during that time, they maybe kept the law of Moses after it was rediscovered and instructed Daniel and his friends in the ways of the Lord. I told you that not everyone was a pagan. Not everyone was an idolater. There's always God's remnant amongst his people who were faithful to him. And what, maybe this instruction included what? Fearing God. Teaching them how to fear God, how to read their Bible. How to pray to draw near to God with the right motivations. So, this is Daniel and his friends. They know their Bible. They come to God with the right motivations. They, they seem to be praying. They seem to be to know and to doing, and being, they're practicing the Christian essentials. So why would eating from the king's choice food be considered defilement? So for that, like Fox says, we got to go back to Leviticus to see God's instructions 
on food the Israelites could and couldn't eat. But before we read our passage in Leviticus, let's remember that the law of Moses can be characterized into three sections. The first section that the law of Moses can be characterized in is civil law. The law of Moses, part of the law of Moses is civil law. And basically God gave these laws to the Israelites on how they should govern themselves and the punishments for those who violated these laws. The second category of Moses' laws are ceremonial laws. And these laws contain several typical ordinances, partly of worship, on how and when to sacrifice, on what and would make them morally impure. And here's where we find this food section in the ceremonial law. And then we have the moral law which are the Ten Commandments, and that is the part of the law that us believers today practice from the Old Testament. We no longer are bound to the the Jewish civil law or ceremonial law, but we are bound to God's moral law because it's it's a natural law. It's above all. So now, with that context, let's go to Leviticus 11. And if you don't want to read it on your own, you can. It tells you specifically the foods that they could and couldn't eat, the birds that they could and couldn't eat, the animals that they could and couldn't eat, But listen to how it ends. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 45 to 47. This is going to give us the answer of why it was considered a defilement to eat these foods, these unclean foods. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is the law regarding the animal and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the edible creature and the creature which is not to be eaten. So why were the king's choice foods unclean? They were unclean for two reasons. The first Maybe some of the meats fell into the list of the unclean animals, such as pork and horse meat, which is known to be eaten by the Chaldeans. The second reason is, and the main reason is, the majority of these meats, of these foods, were sacrificed to idols, along with the wine as well. And since the law of Moses strictly prohibited idolatry, Anything associated with idolatry was to be considered unclean and eating it would mean that they would partake in the worship of idols, making someone morally or ritually impure. So why did they not want to be defiled? Because of their love for Yahweh. They wanted to keep his commandments. They feared God. And Daniel and his friends were determined not to eat that food that was sacrificed to idols. Now, not only was he determined in his mind that he would not defile God, but he also did this in a loving and respectable way. Look at the second half of verse 8. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Does it say that he went on a hunger strike? Does it say that he stored up the others for his cause? Does he say that he was rude and cursed those in charge? How dare you give me this food? Don't you know the God that I serve? No, the Bible tells us that he asked for permission. Daniel was not trying to make a political statement. He was not trying to change the policy of the kingdom in which he was a part of. 
he knew the law of the land and that we are to submit to the law of the land because those rulers and lawmakers are placed by who? Who are they placed by? God. So when is the only time you can defy authority? When the law tells you to violate God's law is the only time you can defy authority. You could dissent, but know that the dissent, when you dissent, it is to bring glory to God and not to yourself. It's a huge difference. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Again, they're going through persecution during this time. We saw this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you, saying, this is normal. You're a Christian, persecution's coming. Just wait for it. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So look what verse 15 says. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler, meaning the person who strives up amongst others for rioting against the injustice of what they're going through. But what does he say in verse 16? But if, any, any, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but it's to glorify God in his name. In this name. He says, if you're going to suffer, make sure you suffer because you're a Christian. Make sure people know that you're a Christian and that's why you're suffering. Not for the other things, but specifically for this. I read this on the website. On a website, it gives a clear, precise uh, instructions on when Christians could defy government. Christians should resist a government that commands or compels evil and should work nonviolently within the laws of the land to change a government that permits evil. Number one. Number two. Civil disobedience is permitted when the government's laws or commands are in direct violation of God's laws and commands. Okay, so you could civilly disobey. I will proclaim the name of Christ even if you tell me not to. But if a Christian disobeys an evil government, unless he can flee from the government, he should accept the government's punishment for his actions. Ooh, I don't like that one. Well, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the love of Christ that when you do that, others will look at it and say, what does this person have that they're willing to die for? This faith in this God that gives them the strength to do so. Lastly, Christians are certainly permitted to work to install new government leaders within the laws that have been established. Again, everything is within the law that are in a loving, respectable way, always making sure that Christ is glorified and you are not. As hard as that sounds, especially in our country where we have all these great freedoms, and trust me, every morning when I pray, I thank the Lord that I live in the United States of America, that in his perfect divine will, I could be living anywhere, but I'm living in North Lake, in Texas, in the USA. It's a blessing. You guys don't know this, but... This area is a very nice area to live in. Not only does God give us shelter, but he gives us great shelter, a great house to live in. In his divine providence, again, we're not used to having, we're used to having freedom of religion 
And hopefully we have it for a while. But if the day comes, let's be prepared on how to react in a Christ-loving way. See, Daniel, he wanted to bring glory to God by obeying his commandments, even if that meant his own death. But let's not forget, what's the main theme of his book? God is sovereign, and he has a purpose for all. And in this case, including Daniel and his friends, he has a purpose for them. See, he's always orchestrating, always in the background. He's orchestrating, he was orchestrating the past, he's orchestrating today, and he's orchestrating the future for his will to be done. How do we know this? Well, look at verse 9. Now, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. Who was the one that granted the favor? It's easy, God. Why? Some of you might think that God granted favor because Daniel was obedient to God. It could be the case because there is blessings when you obey God and his commandments. But ultimately, I need you to know this. God grants favor not because we're good people, but because he's a good God. It's the only reason why his grace comes to our lives. Sometimes standing up for the truth does not bring blessings and will not bring favor among men, and it will cost you your own life. How do I know this? Well, we have the 12 apostles. Sometimes they were spared. Sometimes God showed favor over them. But ultimately, what did, how do they all die? As martyrs. All of them. But what happens? In both times when God gave them favor and when they died as martyrs, who received the glory? God. God received the glory. And in this particular case, God does give favor and compassion to Daniel through the guards. Favor here means loving kindness and compassion, a deep awareness of and sympathy of another's suffering. God allowed the guards to love Daniel, to show loving kindness to Daniel, and to show compassion to Daniel of what he was living through. And I'm sure that it was easy for the guard to have favor with Daniel because Daniel seemed to be a, a guy that did well. was wise, was respectable, asking for permission, please. It helped. And, and I guess, think about it, the guard might, must have been astonished of the way they were acting compared to the other youth that they just captured. Maybe the other ones were protesting and complaining and pulling their car, do you know who I am? And, and Daniel was none of that. So why is God giving favor to Daniel and his friends? Why is that important that God is giving them favor? Because they are captives. The guards and the Babylonians could care less what they think or what they believe. They are subjects. And in this case, they should feel lucky that they were chosen for this service. The chief commander could have ignored them, punished them, reported them to the king. But instead, because God, who is sovereign, is in control grants Daniel and his friends favor and he allows them to have a conversation with the guard that the guard actually listens to, which leads us to the second part of our scene, the problem, verse 10. And the commander of the official said to Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord, the king who has appointed your food and your drink, 
For why should he see you, see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. So the guard is basically talking to Daniel. Daniel, I see you are resolved and, and purposed at heart and determined not to eat any of this food, but hear me out on this one, please. This order came from the king himself, Nebuchadnezzar. He appointed and determined and assigned this to you. If you don't follow this order, you're, you're going to start looking more haggard. Haggard means to be poor, unhealthy. To be or become poor, sick, or weak in appearance. Because they thought that their food was great, that anybody eating their food would be nice and rosy with peachy cheeks. And if this happens, guess what? If you're looking unhealthy and borderline dying, guess who's going to die? It's this guy right here, the guard. Forfeit here means to put in a dangerous, disadvantaged, or difficult position. Daniel, you're really putting me in a difficult situation here. You know, I, I feel for you. I know that you just were captured. I know that you believe in your God and you don't want to eat this food. But look at, look at the big picture here. So from the guard standpoint, what is, he, what is he thinking? What could he think? Like, I'm sorry, you're a slave. You're going to eat what you're told, period. But this is not the case. Why? Because God granted favor to Daniel through this guard. The guard contemplates a conversation with Daniel, and here's the solution to this problem, which is the next part of our scene, the solution. The solution, verses 11 through 13. Let's look at verse 11. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. See, at this point, the conversation so far is between Daniel and the commander of the officials, Ashpenaz, but in comes now a new character, Daniel's direct guard, their direct steward, the person who would directly take care of them while they're there. And he comes in and the Bible doesn't tell us, commentators went back and forth with this. He was probably in the conversation while they're having it with Ashpenaz or he was maybe overhearing it in the background. And this guard says to Daniel, Daniel says to, to this guard, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. How does the sentence begin? With a what? Please. Please. Again, we, we see politeness and the love that Daniel's approaching the situation with. He's, he's, he's acting in a Christ-like manner with love. Please, not demanding anything, not making a fuss. Please, test. Test your servants. His main goal is to honor God with his actions, even under being, even while being a slave or living through enslaved conditions. And then he also mentions, please test your servants. He knows who he is. He knows where he is. He's not playing his royal card or his noble card. He knows he's a servant. He's a captive under his authority. So what does, the Dan what does Daniel tell the steward to do? Test us. Guys, what are the outcomes of a test? Two things. Yes, you pass or you fail, 
right? So what does the test consist of? Water and vegetables for 10 days. Some of you are clapping and cheering and you're like, yes, I love this. This is my diet. Vegetables here means grown from seeds, so breads and beans could have been part of the diet as well. So he's like, look, I know that you have the best food of the land. I'm not doubting that. But I do believe in Yahweh, and I do believe in what he has told me to do, and I cannot disobey him. Can we do something about it? Can we, let's, let's see, test, test this. I know that you think your food is great, but give me water and vegetables for 10 days. That's all I'm asking. And verse 13, then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. God, after 10 days, see, compare us with the other youth. If we look weaker, then do what you please. Report us, punish us, even kill us. But if we are healthy, let us not be defiled and allow us to keep the customs of Yahweh. Again, do you see a demanding tone here or a harsh tone from Daniel and his friends? They simply said, test us. And if we win, you lose nothing. If we lose, we're willing to lose our life, but in a way that won't get you in trouble. So it's like a win-win for both of us. This is using wisdom and living under governments that clearly violate scripture. And we're going to talk about this wisdom towards the end in the application of how do we live in a life currently now and in the future if we would experience persecution. And wisdom is the key. We move on to our last section of our scene, the outcome. In verses 14 through 16. So what did the guard do? He listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Listen here means that he agreed with their proposal. He consented. Why did he agree? Anybody? Why did the guard agree? Okay, in the background, why? Yes, because God gave them favor. Period. He agreed because God gave Daniel favor through the guard. God's grace allowed a pagan to put his job and even his life on the line to show loving kindness and compassion to the Hebrew boys. That's the kind of God we serve. So what was the result of the test? Verse 15. At the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better. And they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Did they pass or fail the test? They passed it. Flying colors. Their appearance was better than those who ate the king's delicacies and his wine. Not only was it adequate, but it was better. Than, they were better off than the others. Healthy, mean, fat, healthy, fat here means fatter means healthier. And then the same, the same word for fat or fatter is, this, is the same Hebrew word used in Genesis to describe the seven fat cows in Joseph's, in the Pharaoh's dream. So what happened to Daniel and his friends? Verse 16. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and wine and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. See, because they passed the test, 
they were able to live amongst the Babylonians without dishonoring Yahweh. God's favor over them allowed them to do this. In this case, God did not, they did not allow them to go to jail or to be put to death. Why? Remember the theme of Daniel. God is sovereign over human history. He gave them grace and favor before men because that was his plan. He, he was going to appoint Daniel and his friends to positions of influence, and he needed them to be there. And this is the way he did so, by giving them grace to continue to honor their desire to live for God under pagan rule. Obedience is required from us whether the outcome is favorable or not. We need to obey God and his commandments, not because it will benefit us, but because he simply commands them. Why? Because the outcomes, they belong to God. To conclude, a couple of points here. Number one, Drink water, eat vegetables. Number one, fear God more than man. Fear God more than man. How do you do this? How do you fear God more than man? The first thing you need to do is determine in your heart what are the things that you will never compromise on as a believer and commit to those. As Daniel proposed purpose in his heart not to violate or be defiled with unclean food. He made that choice and he stuck to it, stuck by it. What gives you the strength to sticking to these things and wanting to obey the Lord and honoring him? Well, again, the Christian essentials, they're not going anywhere. They're part of your life as a believer in Christ. You have to read your Bible. You have to memorize scripture. You have to fellowship with other believers. You have to serve his church. You have to be evangelizing. You have to be taking care of these essentials so you can grow in your walk with the Lord so you can be mature and strong when that day comes, you'll be ready. Also, what if you're practicing all these things and you got your essentials right, but you still have fear? Happens to all of us. Fear of standing up for what is right, standing up for what God has said to be right. Well, guess what? We have a God who is approachable, who is personal. And you can pray that he gives you the courage and strength that you need to stand firm in the day when you need to. Praise the Lord that we can have, that we have that. We have his word and we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. And in your prayers, pray that even when it seems tempting to give in, then you don't for a sake. Oh, but everyone's, everyone thinks it. It's not a big deal. Does the Bible really say that? Pray that you won't fall into that temptation. And all these things will help you to stand and fear God over man. Second point. Always pray for favor to be given you to you before men, but still trust in God even if it doesn't happen. This is a great prayer every morning. Lord, give me favor before men. Where I go, that your light may shine, that I can be salt and light to the world, that it give me clear opportunities for your gospel. And it's great when the Lord answers that prayer. But when he doesn't give you favor before men, you still are called to trust and obey him. 
regardless of the consequence or the circumstance. Like Dusty preached on Sunday, how do we, how do we approach God? With what motivations do we approach him? Do we approach him with the motivation of selfishness, of I want it this way, so make it happen? Or, Lord, I would like favor before men, but let your will be done. And if that's not in your will for me today, Lord, take it away from me. Third point. Praise the God who has come through and can come through regardless of your circumstance. God is powerful and in control and allows all these difficult circumstances to come into our lives. Yes, you might not think so. It's hard to believe that. But what you think is bad, God sees differently. Even during Judah's punishment and exile, God still took care of his people by giving them hope through prophets such as Daniel. Praise him that he will also give you the bravery and words to say when you are living during these circumstances. Last point. Stand up for God and his word today. If you are a believer in Christ, you are not too young to take care of the essentials. You, you are not too young to learn about apologetics. You are not too young to preach the gospel. If Daniel and his friends did it and they were young and captive in a foreign land and they were able to stand for the Lord, we can as well if you are a believer in Christ because you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. Pray that the Lord can help you take your faith seriously. And praise God who is capable of doing it. You want to take your faith seriously? It could happen. Today. Now, we got to start with small battles. Even though there are no laws in America that prohibits us from practicing our faith freely, and we don't see ourselves going to jail anytime soon, we can learn in the small to stand up for God and his principles with love when it comes to controversial topics. When it comes to the exclusivity of Christ, you could stand up. You might lose friendships. Teachers might look at you differently. Your neighbors might not talk to you again. But as long as you're doing it in love and you stand up for the truth, that is what God has called us to do. Study intelligent design and God's creation. When People want to debate you versus, versus evolution. Stand up for your beliefs. Stand up for sexual purity. Yes, the Lord has said it to marriage. Oh, but that's so 2000 and late ago. No, 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 no. The word of God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And trust me, the context of when Paul is writing that is way worse than what we're going through right now. When you leave conversations that are ungodly and they ask you why, say, because I feel uncomfortable with all this cursing going around and these vulgar jokes. Start making fun of you. Oh, it doesn't matter because you stand for the truth. If you're not able to stand for these little things, how are you able to stand against the government when they come for your life? And it might not happen in our lifetime, but if it does, we're prepared. Fight for the sanctity of life. And give your reasons why life begins at conception. These are subjects that scripture is clear on. 
And we should not be ashamed on standing for these truths. If you are a believer in Christ today, you might be encouraged. And you want to pray to God to give you strength that you need to stand for him. And that's great. And go with that and do so. If you're not a believer in Christ, all this might not even make sense to you. You might be asking to yourself, why would I be willing to give my life for, for anybody? See, that comes from a view of yourself that you don't think you need a savior, that you're good enough on your own, that you know more than God, that you're wise in your own understanding. But the Bible is clear. God is perfect. He created us all in the beginning. He makes the rules. He said, you are to be holy for I am holy. What happened? Man broke God's law. There is none righteous, not even one. We all fall short of the glory of God. We cannot save ourselves. We can't. It's impossible. But that's why the good news of Christ, where he came and he lived the perfect life that none of us here could live. And he died on the cross. And he, and he rose from the dead on the third day. And the Bible is clear and it says, if you believe and repent, you will be saved. Yes, if you believe in the God of the Bible, if you believe in all his principles, if you believe in who he is, and you repent from your sins and turn away from you being the Lord of your own life and give your life to Christ, you will be saved. When you understand your condition before a holy God and you see the gift Christ is for those who believe in him, being a doulos is all that you care about. Because you owe him everything because he paid that precious price for you. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, oh, God, oh, Savior, Holy Spirit, try you, God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Father, allow us to prepare while we're in peaceful times for battle. Not only our daily battle with sin, but also our, maybe our future battle when it comes to persecution, Lord. I pray that we can all start with the small, to stand up for your truth and your word amongst the conversations that we currently have, to hopefully be faithful enough to do the same if persecution is for this country. Father, give us the strength to fear you over man and to honor you over man. We are your bondservants. We are your doulos. We are your slaves, Lord. And, we, and this is an honor and a privilege to live our lives for you. I pray that those that aren't saved, Father, that they can see their sin and that they can call upon your name to be saved. In your name we pray. Amen.